Now, follow me on this. I would say tonight, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Never just assume it's true because I say so. Search this beautiful book you have and use it to hold everything accountable, me included. There should be no person that claims to be a representative of Jesus Christ that should not be willing to be tested by that book. And what we'll find is that every human being needs the grace of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are. Now, this particular section, and the reason why I really wanted to cover it in its entirety, to be honest, is because it's been so manipulated and so brought in that people kind of come in and go, here's a verse and here's a verse, forgetting about the rest of the book, and come up with a pet idea. So please, don't just believe me. Search the Scriptures, and none of it be that you come to the conclusion by what the Bible teaches you. Here's the basic gist of this, these three chapters. On our way there, by the way, for those of you who are new, we try to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Word. Chapters 1 and 2, God spoke about sin, and He said it in the simplest way, everybody has done it. You say, well, that's an old-fashioned term. Yes, as a matter of fact, it's as old as the first person, because everybody sins. Now, there are basically two sets of people. There are those who were raised in a religious environment where you had some kind of standard to live up to, and there are those who weren't. And he says, you both have transgressed, because on this side you had a standard you could never keep up with, and on this side you had your conscience that you've had to, somewhere down the line, your conscience said no, and you said, I'll do it anyway. Or it said yes, and you said no. So either way, you stand guilty before God. Now here's the good news is that God had always had a plan before there was ever a man to, to redeem you. He loves you. You are not a, an oops. God never says oops. You are not just breathing tissue. You are a concerted invention of God, intentional, created for fellowship with Him. And with that, there is a problem to be reconciled. What do you do when you're not perfect and you've done these wrongs and you stand before a perfect God that as a righteous judge must punish all wrongdoing? Now, only the Bible, and I mean this sincerely, only the Bible will give you an answer that never compromises either. On one side, you could say, well, he could punish all sin, and with that, then you must be punished. Or on the other side, you could say, well, I'll just be nice and give you a warm, fuzzy hug, but then... They never, then the sin never gets punished. So he's never really a fully righteous judge. Well, God had left one specific clause, and this was it. If somebody perfect was willing to come in who didn't have a sin to pay for and was, would choose to step in your stead, God would allow that person to pay the price. Well, God knows the only person qualified for that is him. And thus, God, in his infinite love, sends Jesus the Christ, or if I can say it this way, clothes himself in human flesh, dies on the cross, so that you, specifically you, all your crimes could be paid for and punished. How do I know it was acceptable? Jesus rose from the dead to prove it. Now, having said that, that's the, the part that God did. The only thing left then is what you're going to do with that, with that issue. The same way that if I had the winning lottery ticket and I gave it to you, you could say, I've got the winning lottery ticket, but until you cash it in, you're no much richer. And you could say, I know God, and I know all this information. And as we read tonight, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever includes you. That's the choice you have to make. Now, what God said was this, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely. Listen, 
all have sinned. When God says all, for all of you biblical scholars out there, all simply means all. Did you get that? All means all. And all, you're part of all. And if you're part of all, that's you too. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God and are offered to be justified freely by His grace. You have that opportunity, but that's the choice you need to make. Chapters 3-5. through five, You take the trust that you've put on your own works, or on what you've done to say, I'm a good person. And God says, roll film. You're going to be, you're, I guarantee you, no one's going to stand before God and say, I'm a good person for long. And you could stand there and say, well, this is what I have, my good works. Or you could accept the gift of Jesus. You're either trusting in you or you're trusting in what God did. Here's the thing. When God does it, two things I've learned. He does it permanently and he does it right. That's just the way it works. Now, with that in mind, that's chapters 5 through, I'm sorry, 3 through 5. 6 through 8, now our third section, we go from sin to salvation to sanctification. What's a fancy word? And all that means is set, setting you apart. Now understand, God says before you came to Him, you were spiritually dead. So you know what the world is? It's a morgue. It's a graveyard. And then God, when the moment you said yes to Him, He made you alive in Him. You are different now from the graveyard. And what's funny is how much we want to blend in with the graveyard. We'll cover ourselves up in little dirt, lay there in the grass, and just try to pretend to rot. But you're not rotting because you're alive now. And you go, well, I don't want to look like the rest of the world. Well, isn't that funny? God is working and making you different, and you're trying to fight Him. And that's the beauty of this whole issue of sanctification. And that's what we just ended. And in that section... There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. Jesus is interceding for you. We read that all things work to the good. Listen, all things work to the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, not all things work to the good of those who don't love God. Because if you die and you don't accept the gift of Jesus, that's not good. But you can say yes tonight. I'm going to give you that chance. And if you have said yes, I pray you get rocked with these chapters like I do. Now listen, we get then from there with that concept. And it says, listen, because whom he foreknew, he predestined. And he predestined to make you look like Jesus. That was his plan. In other words, who God already knew, since he knows everything, he already knows whether you're going to say yes or no. He already has a plan for you. Aren't you thankful that when you say yes, Jesus, he doesn't go, oh, now what do we do with that person? What do I do with Naomi now? Now she said yes. He's already had a plan. But you know what? Wouldn't you expect God to have a plan? Wouldn't it be weird if he just did everything by the seat of his trousers? Would that be weird? Oh, I don't know, little universe. Let's just throw some stars up. Let's see what happens. He's so much more organized than that. Now follow me on this. Because that's the case, and he had this plan ahead of time, he's going to call you, and he's going to fix you. He's going to clean you. All those things. Because if he's going to make you like Jesus, you can't be dirty and look like Jesus spiritually. And then we get to these three chapters. And what we start moving is we move from the area of sanctification to the area of sovereignty. Now, all that means is God's in control. Now, that becomes a hotbed among Christians because there are some Christians that they get so crazy on that that they start getting, they've been on some other wild areas and there's some that are like, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. But look at, uh, bottom line is, I go to sleep tonight and I know God's in control and that's why I could go to sleep because I'm not running my universe anymore. Praise God, because I did a terrible job with it before. 
So listen, follow me on this. Paul, the writer of this, a broken heart for the Jewish people. And by the way, God kind of breaks everyone into two groups. The Jewish people and those that aren't Jewish, that he calls Gentiles. The word in the Hebrew, here's a Hebrew word, goyim. Could you say goyim? That was nice, but if it's Hebrew, you can't go goyim. Goyim. And means nations, that's all. So there's the Jewish people, and then there's every other nation. That's kind of the way that works. God had selected a group of people to be a light, to be a witness, so that everyone could say, this is how cool it is to be my people. They didn't do a great job. But before we want to criticize too harshly, I don't think the church is doing a great job either. So it's like, you know, he with no sin, let him cast the first stone. But Paul, look at Now, look in your Bibles. Prove me wrong. Chapter 9 begins, though, with this concept. Listen, my heart's desire. He goes, I would wish that I could even be a curse. Notice he says, and look at these terms he uses here. He says, I have continual grief. Think about what that means. Actually, continual continual grief. He says, I have great sorrow and continual grief for these people. He goes, I would even get to the point where I could wish myself a curse. In other words, if I could go to hell and they all got saved, there's a part of me that would say yes to that. Do you think this guy has a burden for these people? I kind of wonder about that. Look at the beginning of chapter 10. My heart's desire for these people is that they would be saved. You get the idea here that Paul, really, when he looks at the Jewish people and he sees their hats and their peyotes and their beards and their long coats, and he sees them bowing and wailing and singing their songs, and, and, and he hears them say these things, he's like, oh, God, save these people! And he hurts inside. And there's a part of me, I've got to tell you, when I read this, I've got to ask myself, do I hurt over people like that? Is there a part of me that's willing to be that broken? Because, let's be honest, in this culture, that's a no-no. We don't cry over anything here, except I've learned our pets. But other than that, we don't cry, which is a little weird to me. That's the only thing you'd cry over. But follow me on this. You get the idea that Paul says, if I could have anything, every Jewish person would be saved. Now, interestingly enough, that's not his ministry. He has a burden for a group of people, but God says, I'm sending you to everyone else. And you'd say, well, that doesn't sound very fair, but it does. And I'll tell you why. Because Paul was trained to be the Jew of Jews. He was raised in the very best of schools, trained by the very best of scholars. And if he had gone to the Jewish people, he could have relied on everything but God. But he's sent into a group of people that Paul says, oh, now what do I do? I guess I have to rely on you, God. And God says, exactly. And God has a habit of putting you in places where all you could do is rely on him. You don't like those places. I don't like those places. We'd love for God to do a miracle, but we'd never want to be put in a place where we need one, would we? Oh, God, please give me a miracle. I need one. Interesting. That's how it started with, I, with, I have a broken heart for these Jewish, these Jewish people. Interesting. You know how the book, that section ends? With praise. Listen to this. Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and, his, and how undiscoverable are His ways. You get that? I mean, and always an O. Now, I don't know about you. I was raised in a community where I was the only, I used to say I was the only white chocolate chip in the cookie. I was the fair-skinned one among the group. I was the one that made the Oreo. So I'll give you a moment on that. And O means something. We used to say, when you have nothing left to say, you go, oh! What that meant is you so overwhelmed, O comes out. That's it. Now, I've learned here, you get overwhelmed, you go, hmm. It's different. 
It's different, but it's still sound. But it doesn't really have the impact when you go, hmm. Hmm. Hmm, the depth. Hmm, the riches. Oh, hmm. Now, I don't want to pick on anyone. Here's the point. Is that it gets so overwhelmed. And listen to these statements. How unsearchable are his judgments, and beyond discovery are his ways. You get the idea that by the time we get done with this section, Paul goes, you really think you've figured out his ways? They are un... You would never get to the end of them. You really think you've actually figured out how he judges things? You're never going to really get there. Which is funny because there's a bunch of group of people and, and the people that, you know, the glasses have to sit here and, you know, and they, they, they've memorized all the books and they're like, oh, I figured it all out. Funny because if you figured it all out, you should figure out the part that says you can't figure it all out. You get that, right? I mean, the fact that you figured it out tells me you're failing the test. Because the test says here you're not going to get there. And listen, God never told you you had to understand everything. What he told you is you had to believe. That's the difference. My God is so big that he could be totally in control, still give you a choice. And you go, well, how do you reconcile that? And I say, nobody told me I had to. What he told me was believe. And I'm like, yep, I believe it. You're responsible for those choices you make, but God's still in control. He is so smart. In between... The, oh, I wish these people would get saved. And the, oh, how vast is your knowledge and your wisdom. Riches beyond finding out. It's amazing. In between that, there are two basic questions. And they are this. What in the world is going on with the Gentiles? And what about those Jewish people? And that's really what it breaks down to. Interesting, his conclusion is that salvation has come to the Gentiles. That's what he says here. In other words, those people are getting saved. You know what he says about Israel? He says, all true Israel will be saved. That's his conclusion. Is by the time I'm done, all of Israel really, that is going to be Israel, is really going to be saved. No wonder why he goes, oh, yeah! Because somewhere in between, remember, he's like, oh, I just want them saved. And he goes, they are going to get, woo! That's the idea here. Interesting, because some people, and I don't want to pick on anyone, but you want to get the, somehow you get the gist that you read those three chapters, and all you want to point out is how God chose you, but not someone else. Interesting, because that doesn't seem to be the theme to me. So much so, that look at the beginning of chapter 12. In light of his what? Mercy. Huh. It isn't like he goes, well, now that we've gotten through that section, aren't you glad in light of his judgment, in light of the fact that he sends some to hell or some he doesn't? It's like in light, you should be, by the time you got done, the one word that should jump out and grab you by the face is mercy. Woo! Mercy. Oh, that's it. I mean, if you're kind of looking going, I don't know, I just think maybe God would pick me and maybe not you. I, that sounds like a pretty funky place to be as a Christian. Now listen, in between that, God's Word concludes it. Forty different scriptures plus, he'll at least 40 different scriptures from the Old Testament to confirm his point. Also, what he makes basic clear, and here's the point of this, and it's so beautiful, is that God is so, because here's the point, God is not only sovereign, he's really, really, really smart. Does that sound weird? Follow me on this. If I were sovereign, and what I mean by that is that means I have control of everything but I wasn't very smart, I would make you do exactly what I wanted because then I wouldn't have to keep up with you, right? 
Right, so you're a robot. This is what you do. You're a robot. This is what you do. But if I were smart too, I could be so smart, or at least God is. He's so smart that he could use everything for the purpose of saving people. Everything to save people. Because in the end of it all, all true Israel will be saved, and the Gentiles are getting saved, and you get the idea that that's God's idea here. And so what he wants is to save you. And so here's the idea. Ali, God is either going to use every circumstance in your life to bring you to Christ, or he's going to use every circumstance in your life to use you to bring others there. More likely both. Because we already read, all things work to the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Right Now, if that's the case, then he said, no matter what happens to you, no matter what happens, he's going to use it to benefit you. And you go, well, wait a minute. I had some pretty hard times. And God says, yeah, you did. But they benefited you. Some of the stupidest choices I've made have benefited me. Now, I'm not encouraging you to make stupid choices. But get the idea here that he goes, I will use every bit of it. I'm so smart. Let me tell you what I could use. I could dump mercy on a person. Now, if you watch two guys, you know, let's just say there's a guy and his name is Mandrew. And let's say there's another guy and his name is Madrig. So, Mandrew and Madrig. Mandrew and Madrig, they go, hey, I'm bored tonight. What are you doing? I'm bored tonight. Let's go rob a liquor store. Okay, that sounds like fun. And so, what do you got? Well, you know what? I have a friend I can get a Glock from. That's a little gun. Okay, yeah, sounds fun. All right. So, the two of them kind of go out there and they rob this liquor store. They both get arrested and they look at the two of them and they say, Mandrew, I'm going to give you five years. You, on the other hand, I don't know. There's something about your smile. I just get a good feeling. We're just going to let you loose. And you go, what just happened? Unfortunately, if you've lived here long and if you realize, that happens a lot. Now, now, follow me on this, though. And you go, what, what, what? God is so smart. He knows how to bring judgment upon a person and use that to bring him. He also knows how to use mercy on a person and use that to bring someone to salvation. Because listen, God plays for keeps. That's the point here. And he knows how to use temporary tools to get permanent results. On the other side of that, Bruno, or I'm sorry, Bruno, Bruno, on the other hand, watches this situation. As he watches this situation, he changes his mind and decides, okay, not rob the liquor store. That's probably a good idea because somehow he's met Mandrew in the situation. Been used. Now, in all of that, somehow in all of that, he's kind of going, you know, I'm still toying with the idea. I'm still toying with the idea. God's reaching out to him. He's like, I'm not interested. I just want stuff. I just want stuff. And what happens is God could strengthen that resolve into him. Listen, listen, listen. He could strengthen that resolve into him until he actually does something and he realizes he needs to be saved. The crazy thing is, when you read, for instance, God hardens or God shows mercy, those terms are actually in the, and it's a present continual tense. In other words, it doesn't say God hardened it and that was it. It was just done deal. I hardened it, it's done. What he said is, I, I know how to harden to get results. I know how to show mercy to get results. I know if I push you a little harder, and he, by the way, we never read in this that God changed anyone's mind. What we read is he strengthens a resolve. And you're like, I don't know. I want to play a little in this sin area. I don't want to play a little in this holy area. Hallelujah here and ho, ho, ho over here. And God goes, you know what? Why don't you try this a little bit harder this time? I'm going to try this a little harder. And you go, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm not good. And sometimes that's what it takes. See, the whole point of these chapters is that God is so sovereign and smart 
that he knows how to use every single thing. Think of what it took to get you to church tonight. Think about it. Because what it took tonight may have been somebody from America. Hear their story. It may have been somebody from somewhere else. It could have been somebody that was a crazy coffee barista that somehow in all of that crazy coffee barista got saved, but he had to be a jerk first so that people could see the difference. Now, God didn't make him a jerk, but God did deliver him from it. Praise God he delivers jerks. Hallelujah. Okay, follow me on this now. I just want to give you... Now, again, my whole point of this tonight is to just give you a basic run-through so that we can develop these three chapters over the next three weeks. Nine next week, ten and eleven. You kind of figured that out, right? If, if you can count. Now, now, follow me on this for just a second. And here's some highlights in regards to chapter ten. But this is what we've already established. The gospel is the power of salvation. We read in 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all means what? All. I'm sorry. All means what? All. Right. And that means all. Are you part of that all? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Ta-da! I put the duh in ta-da. Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. God knew him ahead of time. Chapter 9, verse 3. I could even wish myself a curse for my brethren. Verse 6. Listen, it's not that God's word had failed. Because that's the inevitable question. And by the way, this is called peripathetic. And what that means is he kind of outguesses you. I know what you're thinking. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time so I can already answer it before you try to make it an argument. I know what you're thinking. Well, you know, the Jewish people, they have God's word. What's wrong with them? Now, have you ever thought that? Maybe not about Jewish people, but you're like, oh, they say they're Christians. What's wrong with them? How do you explain the Inquisition? Funny, they outlawed the Bible, by the way, then. I don't know if you know that. That usually happens when you want somebody to become a tyrant. You have to remove your accountability. Seems to make sense to me. How do you explain the Holocaust? That, that's easy. Man is fallen. Man's a sinner. And he will be as, evy, evy. He'll be as evil as you let him be. Now listen. It's not that God's word has failed. See, the problem isn't God's word. The problem is what we do with it. And by the way, a hammer can build great things. It can hurt people too. But the problem is, if you put a hammer in some people's hands, even if they're trying to build a house, they could ruin your house. Have you learned that? They even mean well. We're not talking about someone that's psychotic. We're just talking about somebody that's not good. And it isn't like the hammer failed. You're like, why is there a hole in my wall? The good news is I missed my thumb. And I'm like, it would have stopped the hole in the wall. Follow me on it. It's not as if God's word has failed. What God said is Israel will be saved. Not everybody that is governed by God is really governed by God. Listen, not everybody who claims to be is. But that guy says he's a Christian. Look at how nasty he is. And you believed him? If I said I was the king, would you believe me? Are you that gullible? You know, it's funny as they wrote the word gullible. I, can you believe that? Just checking to see if any of you looked. Ha <laughs> ha. Okay. Now, <laughs> now, now listen. Here's how it usually looks to me, though. Pastor Tony, he goes to church. I bet Satan goes to certain churches. <laughs> Pastor Tony, he says he's a Christian. Uh, Satan says he's a Christian. And some of you that have gone on with someone said they're Christian, go, I actually think I've gone on with Satan now that I think about it. Follow me in it. 
He says he is. That's good enough. Jesus says, I can't call you to be a judge, but I can call you to be a fruit inspector. You know what? It's like, well, that tree, it says it's really nice, but every time I bite into it, it's bad. How long are you going to eat from it? Go to another tree. I think that's pretty simple, don't you think? And he goes, look at not everybody who claims to be is. I think it's that kind of simple. Not everybody who claims to be a dad is really a daddy. Have you learned that yet? Some of you haven't had a daddy. But you wish you did. I mean, there's a lot of things. Politicians are called servants of the people. <laughs> sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, just, yeah, we're going to scratch that from the tape. Anyway, so listen. Verse 12 says God can elect whoever he wants to lead. He can pick certain people, and he says, you know what? Before Jacob and Esau were born, God says the younger one's going to be the leader. And then he gives this wild verse, and we'll develop it next week, where he says, and then Jacob I've loved, and Esau I've hated. Hey, by the way, that isn't before Jacob was born. That's in the book of Malachi. That's the last book in the Old Testament. And the, the, the issue is this. He goes, God says, I love you, and you're, I know what you're going to ask. How have you loved me? He says, I'll tell you how. I've made your enemies my enemies. See, by that point, Esau had become a nation that constantly, by the way, the nation Jordan, had fought Israel. And he says, you know what? I love you so much. If they pick on you, I'm going to step in because if they're enemies of you, they're enemies of me. Now listen, God knows who to pick as leaders because he also knows he's so smart, a leader can bring people to repentance. Have you learned that? God can take the worst of circumstances and use those to bring you to, his, to your knees. Because listen, God knows how to get permanent results. Permanent results. He got you here tonight. And for some of you, you're still trying to figure out how you got here. Listen, he can show mercy. It's interesting because he says, you know what it says in Deuteronomy? He says, I'll have mercy on whoever I want. That's what God says. I'll show compassion in whoever I want. We're going to get there on Sunday mornings because we're in the book of Exodus where we sort of look at this. And the whole idea of it is there's a group of people that all should be decimated because of their running around naked and dancing around a golden calf. God had just said, hey, the first commandment, let's just get the first one. The first one is, uh, let's just not have any other gods. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever you say, we'll do it. They didn't get past the first one. And he's like, you know what, well, should I wipe them all out? And he's like, I was like you know, Moses is like, you know, you could probably just kill them. He's like, look, it, I'll have mercy on whoever I want to have mercy. It isn't, hey, I'll condemn whoever I want to condemn. And you know what's amazing is, that's the argument for some people. And he goes, so let me see if I get this right. Some guy's really, really decent. He doesn't hurt anyone or whatever. He's kind of nice, but he can die and go to hell. But this guy's a rapist and he repents and he actually gets saved. Yeah, actually. Well, I don't like that. And God says, I can have compassion on whoever I have compassion. The bottom line is whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you get that? And the bottom line, God's like, this is my house. That guy actually said, I want you. Can I come? And I said, yes. That guy said, no, leave me alone. So I'm leaving him alone. And that's mean? Well, so he can harden. He can strengthen your resolve. By the way, the word he calls you to is repent. You've heard it, right? Metanoia. It literally means change your mind. You get it? Listen, God doesn't say, I'm going to change your mind. That's what he calls you to do. He can strengthen your resolve to show you how dumb your thinking is. And he's done that for me. Anyone else in here but me? Right? And you're like, oh, no, no. I remember the first song I ever wrote on guitar. I was in junior high, which was, I was about 11. And it was like, 
Um, I think I love you and I maybe will keep on loving you. I was trying to be honest. Right? I had no concept of God. I was like, man, and it's like, of course, that situation turned out to be pretty tragic. She moved away, but I'm not bitter. Which was one of the best things that ever happened. The whole point of it is, is there are times you think you make a choice, and you're like, this is so solid, and God goes, this is so full of holes. Now follow me on this. He knows how to show mercy, and he'll show mercy, listen, to anyone. That's you too. He is so, remember the term he uses is riches. Do you know what a rich person is? There's somebody that even when they spend until they can't spend anymore, they still, listen, 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 they still have some left. That's what a rich person is. Now, in this country, I've never met a country where you spend more. It doesn't matter what it is. You could get zones one to five, and somehow you're still paying on your oyster. I don't know how that happens, right? I mean, it doesn't, it's like somewhere down the line, it's like I just feel like there's a hole in my pocket. And I just keep walking, and it's like I'm leaving a trail of pounds every step I take. And, and the whole point, here's, <laughs> I shouldn't even go there. But follow me on this. God knows how to show complete compassion to anyone who calls on him. It really doesn't matter. It really, that's the whole point of this. No matter where you're at tonight, if you call upon him, he'll save you. That's what scripture says here. And by the way, that's an active choice. That's a choice you make, not me. I have to make that choice for me. He's the God of the Jews only. That's the question that's asked in verse 24. And he says, no, he's the God of everyone. That's the whole point of this. And so with that, look at the end of the chapter 9, verse 33. Whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. Are you tonight willing to call yourself part of the whoever? Are you willing to say, you know what, God, if you're really willing to... I mean, think about how dumb this choice is. People say, well, how can a loving God make a place like hell? Can I say, to make your choice easy, how can a reasonable person choose it? Jesus dies on the cross for your sins, raises from the dead to prove he's not like every other person that's ever existed on the planet. And then after all of that says, I'd love to make you innocent. I'd love to cover you in my love. I'd love my father to adopt you as his own now so he could be your heavenly father so I can cover you, love you, put you in a crazy family like this and make your life amazing. And you're like, no, I think I'd rather just have sex and do drugs. Well, that's really where you want to go with it. And he ends this again with this. Whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. And you ask me tonight. You can make that choice. If you believe. And by the way, the belief simply means if you put your trust on him. That's it. Chapter 10. Listen, we're almost done. Paul reiterates, reiterates his passion. My desire is that everyone would be saved. My desire is that Israel would be saved. But they're trying to do it the wrong way. They're trying to do it by their own works instead of by God's grace. That's the point here. Now understand, if everything that God wants is to be with you, if that's what God wants, your works are basically, look at what I did without you. Why would God applaud that when everything he wants to do is with you? Look at what I did without you. God's like, that's not what I'm looking for. How about just, can I do something with you? Look at verse, um, verse 9. <laughs> if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's pretty simple, don't you think? If you confess, if you believe, he'll save you. Notice, look at verse 11. Whoever believes on him, you're saved. 
we read there's no distinction. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're religious or not, whether you grew up Muslim or whether you grew up Buddhist or whether you grew up in, in, you think you grew up on Saturn. It really doesn't matter. If you call on the Lord, he will save you. If you're a direct descendant of anyone, it doesn't matter. He'll save you if you call on him. It doesn't say there's an escape clause here. It doesn't say whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved unless you are related to Muhammad or whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved unless you're Chinese. He says, whoever is whoever, that's you. And with that, then, look at verse 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How's that? Just in case you didn't get in in verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, there's verse 13, just in case. Look at verse 21. But God continues to stretch out his hand to a disobedient people. Tell me that's a God who's decided, I don't care about you. Now, notice it doesn't say stretch out hand. Notice it says stretch out hands. Do you see the difference? It says, look at, look at this. I stretched out, he says, all day long I stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, follow me on this. Now, God does stretch out his hand. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, he'll say it at least ten times where it says his hand is outstretched still. Now, understand, you're going down, you're drowning, and God goes, please, just take my hand and I'll pull you out, and that's it. It's that simple. That's pretty awesome. But that's not what he's saying here. Now, when you stretch out your hands, what does that look like? You show me. What does that look like? Give me a hug. Think about it for a second. Now look at that. This is what God is doing all day. He's doing this. And you're like, no, 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 no. Don't want to be religious. Don't want to be freaking people out. You're scaring me. You're like, I don't know, this God, I don't know about this God, grumpy. I think he's a grumpy guy, old guy. I read the shack. He's an old black gal, and he's scary with a beard, however that works. And he's got a club, and he beats people. And God's like, hello, what part of this looks scary? Now, here in this country, that does look scary. I'll grant you that. But, you know, could you imagine you're on a train going somewhere? It's rush hour, and someone just turns around and goes, hey, everybody. Yeah, I'd flee too. Yeah, I'll agree with you. But this is God. Chapter 10 ends with this. This is me. This is you. Tell me that God says, I decided to send you to hell. Is that what we see here? What I see is, again, the conclusion in this is all the vastness, the riches of his mercy. You know, his mercy is not giving you what you deserve, not giving me what I deserve. And when he does this and I say no, and he doesn't go, bam, that's mercy. Because some of us, we might not do that physically, but in our hearts, that's what we do. We like, like this, and like talk to the hand, and you're like, mm-hmm, talk to, mm-hmm. And you're like, mm-hmm. be blessed, brother. <laughs> God, break their teeth in their mouth. That's chapter 10. Chapter 11, let's wrap this up. Chapter 11, listen. A remnant God has always had. Because though the religious the religious sector is this, this part really has trusted me. It's never been the majority. Isn't that strange? We want to be the majority, but we've never been. Listen, Marcia, very, very ill, hypothetically, and I'm not pronouncing that on you, by the way. I'm not, I'm not one of those kind of guys. Um, she's 
She's ill with something, and it's a pathogen. In other words, it's something that's, you know, it's a living organism inside her. It's, it's eating away at her and so forth. But the doctor knows all he has to do is give this one injection. And if he gives this one injection, it's going to save her. Could you imagine if he's like, well, you know, I know this stuff is going to save you, but what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to suck all the fluids out of your body and replace it with this. No, one injection's enough. Listen, one injection is enough to change the whole body. Do you get it? Aren't you thankful? You're kind of ill, and the doctor comes in with this like thing like this, and he's like, all right, let's get a... Uh, <coughs> I mean, imagine what that would be like. If you really trusted the vial, it would be enough. Now listen, if you trusted the vial, it would be enough that you're the vial, beloved. If you really are walking with Jesus, you don't have to be the majority. You just have to be real. You have to be alive. Do you get it? Now follow me on this. He says there's a remnant that's always been there. And he goes, what do you think? That, listen, do you think God has permanently cast off Israel? Because what is he doing with Israel? To be honest, he set him aside for money to sit down, Junior, because I'm going to be working with the Gentiles. But there's a day when these guys are going to be brought back in and the whole thing's going to blow wide open. There's the point of it. Now listen, that's how smart God is. God knows when to tell you, sit down. God knows when to tell you, scoot over. And God knows when to tell you, it's your turn. You know what? That just sounds like a good coach, doesn't it? You know, I'll tell you, I coached basketball for years, and there are times where even the best players, you have to say, sit down. Sometimes because they're tired, sometimes because they just got dumb. You know, I, I don't know if you forgot, but this is a team sport. And you're not a team. Sit down. And you're like, like, hey, 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 when you're back to normal, I'm going to put you out there. I know when. Because he wants to win. And by the way, you were talking about the undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe. You're aware of that, right? So listen, God can and will restore Israel. That's what he tells us in chapter 11. He says, look at all Israel will be saved. And he's going to have mercy on, so he could have mercy on all. And can I just say, all means anyone who's going to call on him, he's going to have mercy. It's just that simple. He's like, he took a wild olive branch and he stuck it into a real one, like in a really cultivated one. So a cultivated one. And the thing started bearing forth some really great olives. And he cut another one off because this one was cut off because it really wasn't doing that. It wasn't, it wasn't bearing fruit. And he goes, you want to get cocky? He can rip you off just as easy. The church goes, well, I'm God's light now. God says, look it, you stay attached to me and bear fruit. He goes, I don't have a problem cutting off whatever I need to, but I can always stick it back on because I'm God. Because I know how to do that. And so what does it end with then? Oh, the unsearchable judgments, the unfathomable ways. But God would do this. By the time he's done, he's like, well, my mind is blown. How about yours? God's just so much smarter than I am. And I have to sit down and say, you win. I don't think I would have done it this way. But I did. But I, but I trust you. I trust that it's the way you do it. So listen, this is my conclusion as we pray. And I challenge you, take this week and read through it yourself. Come with your questions. Because we're going to have a lot of fun in these three chapters. Listen, God is so smart. He knew how to took. He knew took. You know how to take someone like that. Um, he knows how to 
take the worst choices you've ever made and use them. He knows how to take those moments you regret, those horrible tragedies, those moments of great weakness, those moments where you thought you were all that and then realized you weren't. He knows how to take every bit of that and say, I'm still the one who loves you. I've never given up and I still want you. I still want you. Do you get it? Now look at I don't know what brought you here, but I can tell you this. By the time this book closes, you'll be concluding, there's only two conclusions to make. Either you've accepted God's gift, and here he is, or you've said no. That's your choice. But if you believe on him, you'll never be put to shame for that. If you believe on him, you'll be saved. That's what scripture says here. Now, interesting, that's in, a, that's in a section where God says, I'm in control. And you know what? I know what, it's, I know what it's like to get you to that point where either you'll say, you're right, Lord, I surrender, or you'll be using a way that other people go, you're right, I see it from him. Okay, I surrender. And the good news is, he loves you so much, he brought you in this room tonight to make that choice. And if you have said yes, let's sleep well to know this. God is so smart, he knows how to even use you the foolish of the world to confound the wise, the weak to shame the strong. You think, well, I'm not very strong. God says, qualified. Well, I'm not very smart. God goes, perfect. Moses says, well, I'm not really a good speaker. God goes, perfect. You're my spokesperson. And Jeremiah's like, I'm just a kid. God says, perfect. Isaiah's like, I'm a man with a filthy mouth. God gets a coal from the barbecue. Don't try that one on him. I'm like, I remember the first time I read that one. Note to self, don't try that one. That's for sure. Oh, okay. Like, you know, who will go now? Oh, God, Sunday. Oh. You got a bad past? God can use it. I've learned this. The enemy the, likes to work in your past because you can't change it. God works in the present. He says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says, today, let's today, while you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Today, right now, if you hear his voice, what are you going to do? Simple, yeah? Tonight, as we go to sleep, listen. Christians, those who said yes to him, you're not the craftsman, you are the tool. You're like, I don't think I did. How do I handle? Why do I make? It's like, look it. You surrender. Aren't you glad your tools don't fight you? Imagine you got that hammer and it goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You sure you want to hit in the right place? And you're like, come on, you look crazy. Just the tool. That's the beauty. He's the craftsman. And look at what he did with the universe. He knows how to use you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? Okay, okay. I can't hear nodding, though. Is that wonderful? It totally is. Now pray with me, would you please? God, thank you so much for these beautiful chapters. All of the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of you. How unsearchable are your judgments and how your ways are past finding out. You're smarter than I am, I admit it. Which I'm very thankful for. So I don't have to figure you out. Because your ways are beyond that. And I know, God, that there are times where I ask, God, what are you doing? Is that somehow a single simple answer would suffice? But you're doing so much. You are the ultimate perfect multitasker. And I think if you explain to me anything, like, God, I just want to know the reason why. God's like, well, you would say there's a thousand reasons or more for that single incident and how it bears forth. You're so good at using all of your utilities, all of your resources. 
be it the unrepentant and the repentant, be it the religious and the unreligious. And I watch evil, and it seems to thrive, but I know you use that because you're smart enough to use the enemy against himself. I've seen that. And what man is intended for evil, you still use for good. So there is no doubt, God, you are so smart that you know how to use even our weaknesses, our foolishness, Lord, our social awkwardnesses or whatever it is, God, you know how to use every bit of it to somehow use it to, to make your kingdom that much more clear. And so, Lord, I pray right now, first for every believer, myself included, that tonight, Lord, in this room, that you would remind us we're just tools and all we want to be is surrendered. We don't want to fight you. And Lord, to be honest, you've never said you are required to explain yourself before you used us. Forgive us where somehow we've tried to figure out how to bargain with that. Thank you that when you told Abraham to leave and go to a place you would show him, they didn't argue with you and say, well, where? I'm not going until you tell me. And I've often learned, Lord, that you don't Show step two until we take step one, and then it becomes the next step one. Thank you for that, because I know that nothing is more important than our relationship with you. So for believers in this room, Lord, put our hearts at peace. But Lord, you knew everything before the foundation of the world. You knew what choices we would make, and you knew how to get the most bang for it. So thank you for that. But Lord, right now, within the sound of this voice, you know in this room right now who is still trying to decide whether they've ever really said yes to you, whether they've honestly said yes to you, to the gift of your son, Jesus, who paid the price in full for all their filth and rose again to be the Lord of their life. And I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just tell us in your scripture here that whoever confesses your Savior, but whoever confesses that you are Lord. Because this is more than just you saving us. It is surrendering our lives to you to be our Lord. And so, Lord, you promised your Holy Spirit would do the convincing. Friends, brothers, sisters, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, tonight you can walk out of here absolutely sure that you are saved because it says whoever calls on his name will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It doesn't say you might be or God will take a vote later. He says you will be. Now that's the choice you need to make. Notice I didn't say you have to shave your head and sell flowers at an airport. Notice I didn't say that you have to, it's like, look at, fall in love with the God who loves you and everything else works its way out. I've learned that. It's just that simple. So while heads are bowed for, this, for the courtesy of the choice you need to make right now, if you want to say yes to this God, you want to say, look at Jesus, if you really want to make me innocent and, and have me adopted by the Father of heavenly lights, the, the, the God of the universe and all that, Lord, I, I, yeah, I say yes. If that's you tonight, just politely right where you're at, slip your hand up so that I can see you. I see you. I see you. I see you, sister. Who else tonight? I see you. Welcome, brother. I see you. Welcome, sister. Anyone else? I see you. God bless you. Anyone else tonight? Anyone else? All right. Okay, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And as I pray this prayer, I ask you to listen. And as you listen, at the end of it, I'm going to give you the opportunity to simply say a confident, resounding, Amen. Well, let me tell you what that means. It means, I agree. 
Let that prayer be my prayer. In the simplest sense, so be it in my life. So in other words, you're making this prayer your own. And so that's why I want you to listen so you know what you're getting yourself into. And here it is. God, I confess to you I'm not perfect. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. That's the term you used. I'm going to agree with you. But you love me. You make that clear. And you so love me that you sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the sins for me and every other person on this planet so that my guilt could be punished in full. And he died there on the cross. And then three days later, just as your scripture promised, he rose again. And he shows me that my sin is paid for, my guilt has been punished, and that there is a new life on the other side. And so I say, yes, if you want to forgive me, please forgive me. If you want to adopt me, please adopt me. If you want to love me and lavish me with that love, be my guest. In return, I surrender myself to you. Jesus, if you really want to lead my life, lead my life. That you can transform me into a different person, a better person that loves you and loves others. So here I am, I'm yours. Jesus, be my Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross and raising again. I surrender now. Jesus, in your name. And if you agree, simply ask you to say, Amen.